Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Well, look at that. Hi, everybody. It's Script Shop. Welcome Script back, shop. y'all. Script Shop Show. Script Shop Show. That's Allison. Now I'm singing the end, but this is the beginning of Script Shop Show. Na- show. <laughs> well, see. And that's Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Hi there. I was going to say now we should be going to a different take, but no, we're going to just roll right nah, through this. Why? When you're starting, you're starting. We're yeah. starting, and uh, we're welcome back. This is a podcast that we do uh, that you listen to, and we appreciate it. Thank a podcast you. about scripts. And the writers who write those scripts. Yes, we love those people. They are wonderful, wacky, weird, wild, wild and wonderful. That's the theme of West Virginia. Yes, it is. Yeah. I only know that because I rode a bus from since uh, I rode one of those midnight buses from Cincinnati to <laughs> New York City. Okay. And I would try to stay awake so I could see the wild and wonderful West Virginia because I always just like to imagine living there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Frank and I were talking about West Virginia earlier and, and the speed limit situation in West Virginia. <laughs> I, I, I was just apologizing to Frank because I had to turn his mic off as the show was starting, but now I feel like I should turn it on. What's this thing with the speed limits in West Virginia? I don't know if I should talk anymore. Frank's, <laughs> Frank, Frank likes you to go fast. So, you have permission. Okay, so <laughs> um, I, I just saw this thing um, where West Virginia's thinking about increasing their speed limit to 80 miles an hour. Nice. And yeah, I agree. Don't say that. That's yeah. a terrible idea. That's what idea. it is in Texas. That's ins- and that's insane. <laughs> Why? Ugh. You're insane. I don't like that fast. It's too fast. Uh. Back back when Ohio used to be 55 to 65, mm-hmm. when Boring. I used to go to Pittsburgh, you drive through part of West Virginia on your way. And I was always in amazement. Like you could drive through flat, straight Ohio and you get to like curvy, windy, and mountainy like, West Virginia, and like it's 70, 75. I'm like, why can't Ohio be this? And now Ohio is 70 yeah. miles an hour, and now West Virginia's 80. I'm like, yes. So I see where this is going. That sounds, it, it, it just, my stomach's in it's knots like, just thinking about that. You're That's such a wuss. It's terrifying. You, it's too I, fast. I hope it's it becomes fast. like a cartoon where they, uh, Keep pulling out like a bigger gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? There's definitely no metaphor there. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, Cartoons have great scripts. <laughs> there yeah, we go. Let's roll right. Let's oh, keep yeah, rolling right into that. it. So we haven't talked for a while. Yeah. Well, um, our listeners don't know that. Yeah, but I know. But I mean, I, I like the I like the verisimilitude of us being okay. a little bit honest about where we're at in the world. Yeah. And it's been a little bit. So well, still in Cincinnati in the iHeart Media Studios. Thank you so much. Thank for you very much, everybody at iHeart. Um, you can still always find us without interruption on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, Jack yeah. is Script Shop Jack on Twitter. Hi there. And I am your bestie, Westie. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can follow us at Script Shop Show correct. on Twitter. We are also on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. Script Shop Show. Yeah. Check out all of the fun stuff behind the scenes. And if you're interested in getting to the source of all of this great audio, go to scriptshopshow.com because there you can find an archive of all of our older episodes as well as uh, information on all the writers and some of the scripts that we've had on the show. You can also submit there. So yes. if you have a script and you want to send it our way because we need your words and your stories, send them in to scriptshopshow.com slash submit. And that's how we got today's feature, yes. Viv Through the Night. A so Go ahead, Jack. I was, I was I just like the title. I like the title, Viv Through the Night. It's a lovely title. I like Viv. that title. 
Viv. Viv through the night. Yeah, we thought about um, naming, because of course I'm going to have a baby, mm-hmm. and one of the names we considered was Vivian. Ooh. Yeah. That's a hellraiser of a person, by the way. In the script, yeah. That Just that name, you know? Oh, really? Like, have you ever met anybody named Vivian? I don't think so, but I feel like they'd be tough for somebody named Viv to be boring. Yeah, it's like the, you just imagine a Scarlett O'Hara yeah. type of person. They, they seem very vivacious. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. uh, 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 words. See, where else are you going to get clever wordplay like this, folks? <laughs> so, uh, Viv Through the Night is a 104-page feature. It's uh, got a generational theme. It's poetic. It reminded me of a Tennessee Williams type of story. Yes, with some fairly surreal elements that I'm glad we're going to have the writer of that script, Jared Eagle, on the show to help us. Full disclosure from me, fill in a little bit. Uh, there's a few gaps that I need filling in because yeah. I'm not good with, with surreal stuff. I tend to put too much. I, I, I don't handle it very well. Yeah, you... <laughs> I mean, you can't even handle a 65. Yeah, I don't like that. That's too. No, 65 is fine. That's a good (laughs) limit. But outside of that, when you're driving on a weird strip mined mountainside, Mm -hmm. that's a 70 is terrible. Is this the kind of discomfort that like you're kind of into it or you're just like, no, I can't touch that with a 10 foot pole? I'm I'm show not into it. Yeah. For the show, I'm I'm, in in real life. I would be a little more into it. But for Uh the show, I'm very not into it. What's this difference between show Jack and real life Jack? Oh, come on. Show Jack is actually show Jack has a little more bravado, but he will play up his fears and insecurities in a way that regular Jack would not. Okay, And listeners, just so you FYI, Jack doesn't let me talk about a lot of stuff that I want to bring up on the show because he's afraid his parents are listening. Don't I'm cutting that out. <laughs> All right, we have uh, some other business that we need to uh, address. Yes. Do you want to talk about the big thing? Yeah, I do. I really do want to talk about the big thing. This is a big thing. So the big thing, listeners, is that in Cincinnati, Ohio, August 23rd through the 25th, 2018. This coming summer. There will be a film festival called The Sendependent Film Festival, as in independent, but with a C because it's Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. This is a film festival... Um, Created and directed by yours truly, Allison West, right here from Script Shop Show. Based on a lot of my experiences with film festivals and wanting to create a similar awesome experience here in Cincinnati. There is a screenplay portion to the festival itself. We'll be doing live screenplay readings and there are there is a big cash prize for the top screenplay. So if you have a screenplay or you have a, a short or a feature of any genre, multi-genre genre festival... Please feel free to submit on using Film Freeway, syndependentfilmfest.org. Yes, this is this is the premier sort of announcement about this. Yeah. We're going public with this this idea of yours. This is your baby. It, you know, not that your actual baby. That'll be I a different baby. I have a lot baby. of babies, I guess. <laughs> you have a lot of babies. Yes, you do. You're quite the I'm mom. very pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Just pregnant with ideas. Yeah, I'm really, really proud of it. Um, just excited about doing the festival and all the team that we have involved because Jack, of course, is involved and Script Shop is a partner for the festival. Absolutely. And uh, we're stoked about this. So check it out. Um, if you got questions, send them our way. Otherwise, get your work ready because we're ready to see it here in Cincinnati. Yeah, it's going to be a really cool, very big deal. The way just meeting with you previously and the way you've pitched it and the idea that you have for this and the vision that you have for this, uh, I think Cincinnati needs to get itself ready. Thanks, Jack. Seriously. Yeah. Um, what else do we need to cover here? Before we start talking to Jared. I feel like I'm just ready to jump in with Jared. You want to just go to Jared? See what happens. All right. Well, he's waited around long enough. Uh, Anything else we can cover at the end. Without any further ado, let's go to Jared Egal. You're on the show. What's up, man? Hey, good evening, guys. Hey, thanks, Jared. Where are you, Jared? I can't 
Can't quite place it. Um, I'm in um, uh, just outside of Orlando in Winter Park. Oh. So you guys have been cold lately. Yes. Uh, does it, does does 45 to 50 qualify as cold? Mm. I mean, for Florida, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, my family's from New York, so I mean, this is this is you know inspiration. This is the the weather that that I think people like me live for. Because the rest of the time it's you know 95 with a with a chance of depression, <laughs> like, uh, and just the the, hu- the humidity index is always you know topped out. And plus, being inland, um, you don't really get the specific heat from the water cooling anything down. Any of the any of the breeze. Yeah, well, Flor- so. Florida. Um, so your script, of course, is set in Florida. Not to jump straight into the script or anything, but yeah, it was set where I went to school. Really? Yep. Yeah, oh, at UF, yeah. So let's do a timeline of you. Uh, you were, were you born in New York? Oh no, my my family is. And when I went to Chapman and the the voting fiasco and the hanging chads was happening and Florida man was emerging, I just kind of tweaked my accent to how my dad used to sound and just said I was from New York. Mm. But yeah, my, my dad's from um, my dad was from uh, Bronx by way of Long Island. My mom's from upstate, mm-hmm. but I was born in Miami and mm-hmm. raised in Miami. And have you been in Florida your whole life then? Um, with the exception of uh, of grad school and you know um, frequent excursions to visit family in New York, yeah, I um, spent the first uh, 18 years of my life in Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom had moved up to West Palm Beach, um, where um, uh, like where where Mar-a-Lago and Trump is, and um, from there I I went to UF in Gainesville, um, went out to grad school. In uh, at Chapman in around Anaheim and Orange. Oh wow! Uh, stayed out in LA for a few years. Um, always assuming I would move back for family. I had some fam- I had, uh, family commitments. My my daughter is out here, and mm-hmm. um, I uh, always said that I was going to make it as a writer in Florida, no matter what. Or I didn't make it as all. Or I didn't make it at all. And um, so after that, I I came back, and I've been back here since uh, 2012. Well, that that idea, like I'm going to make it as a writer in Florida, Florida or not at all. What is the scene like for yeah. a writer out there? The scene is, I'm I'm in Florida. I need to be in New York or L.A. Mm. unless I have great internet outlets and can create a cyber community to prop myself up, combined with you know submissions to film festivals and. You know, it's it's very unappetizing for anybody um, to to network with writers who can't be proximal to a big small town like L.A., where all the above the line people who are making the deals need to you know have FaceTime with you, need to trust you know your sensibility and your capacity to be a non-murdering, non-psychotic human being who can operate a room, right? And at the same time, write, and so. Out here, you have—I mean, every day, the the channels for for making it from wherever you are, the the blacklist, film freeway, what have you, are exploding. And you know, every day there's a new exception to the rule, to the point where it's been dissolved as a rule altogether. But um, it's 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 more here. It's you you're writing for Disney if you're in Orlando or ESPN. Or if you're in Miami, you're writing for a telenovela or, you know, any of the local, um, although there's a great scene at, at, at UM, a lot of fantastic, I mean, that's that's where Moonlight came out of. Mm-hmm. Right. But that, those deals were brokered in New York and L.A., of course. Well, so what but do you do, Jared? What do you so, do in your day-to-day? 
So I, I'm 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 writing full time now. I I was formerly um, a uh, I taught I taught middle school uh, reading and I've done a, a variety of jobs. Right after high school, I, I worked as a mover before UF. I was originally gonna I double majored in pre med and creative writing. I was gonna I was on track Whoa. to um to to be a physician like my father. My father was an intensivist um, and a bioethicist specializing in end of in you know medical futility end of life care stuff like that. I had been a football player, tore both my ACLs and my shoulder, was was hell-bent on becoming an MD-PhD who wanted to um, contribute to um, less traumatic ways of, of repairing, you know, non-union injuries like ACL tears and stuff like that. And um, But I discovered I kind of just had like a discovery channel level avocation for medicine, particularly the kind of... Um, stale way that it was taught, you know, kind of rote regurgitation, you know, Richard Feynman would tear his hair out having to sit through these biology classes. He, <laughs> so, you know, he taught himself, but, um, eventually when, um, when, uh, my daughter was born, I had to have a vicissitude about my career that was going to, you know, end up shaping my entire life. I was going to do everything on behalf of my little girl. And naturally being a writer is not the safe answer. Yeah. But uh, medicine is not safe either if you're miserable. Mm. Um, and my father had given me his blessing. He was a huge film fan. Um, you know, before he, um, he passed away from cancer, um, he had made, he endeavored to have um, every movie on the AFI Top 100, you know, covered. His house That's was cool. littered with, you know, old linen back posters from Charlie Chan to you know, Orson Welles. Um, everything in between, and um, he encouraged me to pursue my writing. He actually, as a gift, when I decided not to go to medical school but to pursue screenwriting, as a gift, he had given me this entire package of writing stuff, including a shirt that says, be careful what you say or I'll put you in my novel. doesn't fit anymore. <laughs> um, but uh, including sweet. also the Goodwill Hunting and a Beautiful Mind script, which I then um, kind of... Uh, conflated to make my first feature that actually ended up getting me representation um, several years later. But so, that, so, Jared, um, we're gonna you're giving us like 80,000 things that we want to talk to you there's about. There's a million things so that you just said that we can dig we're into. We're going to have to go back a little bit, and I want to go back all the way to the first time Jack went, <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking I'm about, sorry. Jack? Which is when you said pre-med and yeah. writing. Yes. So let's break yep. this oh, down okay. a little bit more. Um, sure. So this idea of having a pre-med major and a creative writing major. Those are completely different things. And a lot of times you don't even have people with those types of personalities interacting, let alone existing in one human body. Yeah, no kidding. That's so, very left brain, right brain. Yes. Like, what was that like for you, doing both of those things while you were in school? Um, I mean, I've always had an analytical family. My, my father um, was somebody who uh, prided himself on his, his rational uh, capacity. He was something like a Dr. House figure. He was one of the first. Uh, are you familiar with um, DO versus MD? No, uh-uh. Um, DO is doc- Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine. Osteopathy being the modality that incorporates a little more alternative stuff like manipulation. The idea is that, that the allopathy, which is uh, what you get, what you study if you're an MD, medical doctor, okay. um, is the, basically the disease model that, that pathogens and things going wrong in the body through genetic, you know, mutations and, um, and whatnot 
you know, harbor disease, whereas allopathic medicine, um, DO medicine considers like the, the, the whole body approach or osteopathic. Um, it, it's, you know, he learned a little more alternative stuff. And as a result, those are the schools that are not as prestigious. Mm-hmm. And he um, went to a school in Chicago that was because he, he was very, um, very creative and, you know, didn't care as much about the science, you know, curriculum. He didn't get into any of the medical schools that were considered good until he busted his ass in this MD or DO school. And he was one of the first uh, DOs to get a residency, which is the training you get uh, to specialize after your medical school training. He was one of the first to jump from um, an osteopathic program to an Ivy Brown. And um, that kind of cemented his confidence, I think, that he, uh, he could be this physician, but he always had this incredible creative streak. He, for instance, after Hurricane Andrew hit, um, he um, contacted the people who built Johnny Rockets uh, to, to build a, a 50s diner in my house. I had a field trip to my house in the fourth grade. What, what, Wait, okay, so why? Why did he do that? I, <laughs> why did I double major like that? I mean, I think, I think he just had these contrarieties. These, huh. the, the, these, the, you know, he had a, a hand, a, you know, bilaterally um, in, in everything that, that encompasses, like, the, these, these poles. Like, he, 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 he genuinely loved both. And wow. as a result... Um, I, I, I think I think there are people who entertain both and maybe do it therapeutically. So they love movies, and that's what compelled me when I didn't love okay. medicine as much as he did to pursue movies. Particularly mm-hmm. after he passed away, and I inherited his collection, and I had to imagine all the movie conversations I couldn't have with him anymore right. because he was gone. Yeah, and and you said that he passed away from cancer. Yes, uh, did- which might. Um, which might show up in the script we're reading today. Yeah, yeah. it does. You know, I got to be honest yeah. with you. When you were sort of going through just that basic history of yourself, I jotted down pre-med, end-of-life futility care, right. sports injury, having a daughter. That's like the, those are the cancer, themes. All that, that's, that's, the whole, your, that's the whole script, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think when people say that you, you write what you know, I mean, yeah. you, you, you are just, you are just integrating in the things that are most intuitive to you. So that you are not writing from a place of fear, you you already know these characters. You are you are stocked with these vessels, and when you harmonize them into a plot that's coherent, hopefully, you are in some ways kind of solving you who you are and saying yeah. you know something about your protagonistic sense as a writer to overcome the things that bother you. So, or do a lot of your scripts feel like this one? Do they do they feel like Viv Through the Night does? Um. Yeah, and that's that's been a hindrance because I came from a fiction writing background. I never pursued screenwriting outright. My advisors in undergrad, uh, uh, David Levitt, Mary Robeson, uh, Jill Cements, uh, you know, tremendous fiction writers, and, and several of my peers have gone on to to do great things in that realm. Um, the notes, like the way that the classes always were, you know, people would read, and then after they'd read, people would immediately jump into feedback. With me, it was always they'd read, and there'd, there'd be this silence. This, this, this accurate nothingness of people just don't know what to say. And it made me feel like absolute shit. Just like I was the most imbecilic, deluded person in the world. I had people, I had people in, um, I remember middle school, you know, I had teachers, you know, and tell me to stop using this as source. Uh, and I had teachers uh, that will remain nameless in undergrad who would, you know, read different words that I would put in my writing out in front, as if to isolate them, to put them in a crosshairs and to mock me. And I was kind of hoping 
that eventually years later in my 30s or 40s, I would finally remove the cover and see the wisdom behind what he was doing, but it was just mean. Yeah. And, but it was eventually through grad school, I had teachers who'd say, you know, this stuff is overwritten, but, you know, you clean it up. You know, screenwriting is an e- economic thing. And um, eventually I, I did, and it's been, it's been slow. But to answer your question, yeah, my, my stuff tends toward the surreal, but grief is surreal. To me, that's, that's how I interpret grief, you know. And um, I, 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 I've tried very hard to change my tenor and, and you know, make my stuff, I guess, more accessible if that's the word um but every time i've done that i've I've just made it inaccessible or similarly inaccessible just in a different way i always go back to just how i am and i had to become confident enough with that and it worked out because i i have one of the best managers i could i think envision you know who, who's taken a chance on me and, and guided me and, and and seen the value in me which you know if we write and work hard and reveal ourselves I think everybody has. Let's jump to how you met your manager and then ultimately how you guys started working together. Because, of course, getting representation is something that a lot of writers are interested in hearing about how that process worked for yeah, somebody sure. else. And especially approaching it from somewhat of a non-traditional yeah, background. Yeah, like an artistic. I mean, yeah, this is you're, you're coming to this from a really unique place, I feel like. But that also enables me to write things that, uh, I mean... I forget who was who told me about this. Like you know, if you if you go to if you if you study literature in undergrad, I mean, I don't I don't mean this, this cynically. This is a quote that I actually heard, and I don't necessarily even believe it. But if you if you study if you get your MFA, um, and uh, you, you you study you know literature, comparative literature, what have you, um, a lot of a lot of the stuff takes on a kind of a, a homogeneity kind of quality. Everybody writes about writing, mm-hmm. and then you get these meta kind of ennui-soaked treatises that end up being about, you know, single men living in an apartment in Brooklyn wondering what life is about. Yeah, I, and, I, I get that, sure. And um, for me, I never, I, I, I've always been so passionate about, about medicine. Everything that I ended up writing about was, 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 was like psychology. I think writers are kind of like psychologists. We, we, we tease out um, we, we, we start with problems and arrive at characters, you know, just like doctors or psychologists, you know, start with characters and arrive at problems, diagnoses. And, um, I particularly in graduate school, when I was under a lot of stress and to the point where I was physically de- de- um, debilitated, I went from being, um, a, like a power lifter, you know, lift, throwing around heavy weight in the gym, um, to a guy who couldn't even pump his own gas. I, the, the, the stress and pressure of everything had, had kind of buckled me. And, you know, with the help of my dad um, to, to kind of just take this in, a physician, um, I, I began kind of, in addition to studying at Chapman for, for my MFA in screenwriting, I took on a lot of um, studying mind-body medicine, uh, psychosomatic medicine, stress-induced conditions, things like that, um, uh, which eventually helped me both get out of pain at the time, you know, I was told I was going to have to live with this for the rest of my life. You know, I, uh, they didn't know what was wrong with me. And, um, that, that just opened this entire area of interest to me that was not at all related to the craft of, of, of screenwriting, but because I had studied it in undergrad, I 
already knew where it was going and to be able to... You mean you knew where your script was going because you had studied all of this? Yeah, I I knew I could fill in more blanks, I think. I had a more abiding interest because um, medicine was something that I was passionate about. It wasn't wasn't going to have to begrudgingly do research. Right. Well, and also the idea of like your mental state influencing your physical body, that's another theme that's in this script. Right. That comes from a very specific case study that is to this day blows my mind um there was i don't know to the extent that it's that it's true this was inspired by a case where um a woman presented to her general practitioner um with with pre-diabetic symptoms and you know her insulin uh, um, her glucose were all out of whack um pancreatic function wasn't great and she came back again you know, like a month later, and she was completely fine. Then a month later, she was, she was crashed. She, she, was, she, was, she was in the ER. She was, she was like on, on you know, full, full-on insulin, you know, dependent diabetes, mellitus. And um, then she didn't have it. And the idea was that in one personality, she had diabetes, and in another, she didn't. Yikes. Wow. So we were, you, we were curious about your getting a manager. Mm-hmm. That was something we wanted to to help maybe if people were listening the Absolutely. way that that sort of thing Real happens. Quick, I think the first thing it goes back to what we were talking about earlier is as cliche as it is, stay true to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, if you feel that you are good at something and you have even the littlest bit of validation, all it takes is one person. In graduate school, I had one. I had initially one mentor, and that turned into a few more as I got more confident and was able to implement the notes more. Um, and, uh, that mentor turned out to be Ron Friedman, who created the original Transformers and G.I. Joe cartoons. Oh, you're kidding me. TV. No, I wrote a book or I didn't write a book. I, I did research for him on a book that, that he wrote called I Killed Optimus Prime. He was my, he was my professor. He became like a father to me after my, after my dad passed away. Wow. That's extraordinary. Yeah. Talk about somebody who was at the forefront of such an important, like pop cultural part of the, of, of a decade. He's, and he's on top of it, the smartest man who's uh, ever, who, who, who comes into almost any room he's ever been in. That's cool. Wow. Absolutely, absolutely brilliant. You know, you know, he's a, a, a Jewish guy who grew up in the, um, the 40s outside of Pittsburgh in West Virginia in a, in a mining town as a Jew. Yeah. And just the, the, the horrors that, that he experienced and just, he was hired by Danny Kay um, right out of, right out of, um, uh, he, was, he, was, he was an architect originally, and he was hired by Danny Kay, and he came up, and yeah, he's done. It's one of the nice things is like if you see a writer who does a, a show that's not really considered, you know, it's culturally iconic, but people don't look at, you know, the 1986 Transformers movie and say, well, you know, that's basically Citizen Kane too. Well, it did have Orson um, Welles they, in it. But but writers, they, they they are passionate, you know, human beings with just such a scope that is oftentimes not reflected in their assignments. But yeah, yeah right. he was my mentor, and he's the one who encouraged me to keep writing. And so I moved back to Florida. Um, I pounded the pavement. I worked as a teacher, and then I had other other people who were instrumental, including um, um, a producer I had met at a, at, um, at um, a, a screenwriting conference prior to Chapman. I continued to work on the scripts, the, the, the features, including the one that, that, that we have tonight. I, could, I sent those out to things like Virtual Pitch Fest. Virtual Pitch Fest was absolutely instrumental to me. Um, I sent out probably 50 query letters. It's a service online where they, they charge per, per pitch, but they guarantee that you will be in contact with a, um, 
an agent or a manager or a producer from a list. Okay. And um, I had admired a manager by the name of uh, Lee Stobie, who had had the number one script on the blacklist in 2015 by Isaac Adamson called Bubbles, which is which was picked up at the Cannes Film Festival um, this past year. It's going to be directed by Taika Waititi. It's uh, the story of Michael Jackson's uh, Michael Jackson's unauthorized story, as told from the perspective of his pet monkey Bubbles. That's who right. Has, who yeah. speaks in the Shakespearean register. That's going to be produced by Dan Harmon um, and directed by Taika. His client had written that, and I had sent Viv through the night to Lee. Viv or Lee responded very favorably, and um, although that wasn't an invitation to be represented, when I was out in LA doing other projects, um, he agreed to meet up with me, and so from then on, I kept in contact with Lee. Was um, invited to a film festival in Mexico, the Oaxaca Film Festival, um, for another script, which then I had been simultaneously submitting things on the blacklist. This other script, Clay Tommy. Um, got a nine on the blacklist. Nice. I, I kept in, I'd kept in contact with Lee. Um, you know, I'd maintained my relationships. I, I forwarded it to Lee. At that point, Lee had um, signed on another manager, Derek. Um, Lee forwarded Clay Tommy to Derek. Derek responded very positively. I came out to L.A. from Florida to meet with him, and he signed me. Nice. That's great. So a little bit of and hustle, a little bit of good work, and a little bit of knowing people. Yeah. Yeah, and we've been, you know, he, he's he's just, he's been the alpha and the omega of, of keeping me excited about being a writer. We're developing a great project together right now. And um, I I just, uh, every day I wake up and just, just am in bliss over how, how fortunate I am to be in this position. Yeah. That's cool. It's something I don't think any writer can lose sight of is how fortunate they are to have any sort of luck whatsoever. Right. Even yeah. if it's somebody saying they liked your script. That's something that most people won't ever experience. Speaking of your script, uh, I think yeah. we, we need to get into this because there's a lot that I think we can uh, sink we can our cover. teeth into. Yeah, I'll um, try to I'll try to keep things a little more. You, know. <laughs> you have lots to say, and we love listening to you. So, yeah, we dig you it. Know, it's all good. Um, Jack, do you want to go through a bit of the of Let's talk about what happens in the script because that'll yeah. let us set up a scene. Okay. Um, and then we'll do the scene right after that. So, Jared, you, this uh, this Viv Through the Night is the story of uh, Britta and her mom, Viv. And, I mean, there's definitely other people in the family, too. But, I mean, it's very much Viv is near the end. She's got stage four, you know, life-ending cancer. It's over for Viv. Britta is dealing with that while at the same time trying to maintain some kind of a relationship with her teenage daughter, uh, who is very athletic and is looking to make a future for herself in sports. And in the middle of all this tension with mom dying and, and, and trying to make her way through deal with the grief, all of a sudden mom just gets better, like out of the blue. In, like she's like singing a song in the in the MRI room and just starts belting it out because all of a sudden magically she's been healed. She's healthy. And then but mm-hmm. then that also sort of turns into a thing where because she's totally healed now, she's also a real jerkier person than right. she was. Yeah, and you kind of watch you kind of watch Viv and Britta play off of each other so that when Viv's well, Britta spirals. Yeah. And vice versa. When Viv spirals Britta's a little bit more together. And then uh, this is also all being fueled by the fact that Britta's dad was this college basketball player, uh, this guy Bill Moran, who was somewhat legendary in the Gainesville area, kind of, but not really, and that turns into a a plot point, too. But there's a lot of resentment for him not being around. He died when Britta was young. 
Uh, Mom resents the relationship she had with him, the relationship she has with her daughter. There's a lot of anger and frustration and this surreality of mom coming back to life but being a bigger jerk uh, presents mm-hmm. a really interesting dynamic amongst these characters. Yeah, and let's go ahead and set up the scene that we're going to read now then, too. So, um, Jared, if you want to, if you could just talk a little bit about what happens right before this scene starts that yeah. we're all about to read. Absolutely, and, and I think you, you guys did a wonderful job summarizing it. Um, yeah, is that is that okay? Uh, so, yeah, I mean it's great. It, it's it's showing me just just how much I have going on that 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 maybe in places I need to make make clear or elucidate, explain better. Um, and uh, this particular script, um, the opening is Britta, who is a physician herself. She's mm-hmm. an anesthesiologist, is tending to her mother on hospice. Um, well, right before hospice, I should say, she's getting chemo still. Um, her, um, she wants to go to a grief counseling meeting because there's a lot of pressure here, obviously. She's probably, like anybody who's dealt with cancer, wants to get out of the house and calls her daughter over. There's a lot of resentment there. The daughter seems to be everything that Britta never was. Yeah. Um, there's also an element of racism there. Yes. Uh, it's implied that the, that the, that the um, mixed-race daughter... Um, granddaughter, I should say, was resented by Viv. Yes. And that makes it very difficult for the granddaughter to want to have anything to do with her. Um, and when Britta is about to leave, the mother, she looks outside and the mother is walking around outside and seems to be healthy. And the mother, or I'm sorry, Viv, or Britta, I should say, Britta goes outside and you know, Viv then reverts back to being sick. And this was an experience I had with my dad where sometimes they seem to be better. And that's what brain meds do is they okay. make you think that there's improvement when there's not. And so Britta, thinking that this is just a sign that her mother's getting worse, goes out to the bar and um, to try to escape her troubles. And that's where we begin. Perfect. Okay. So in this uh, reading, listeners, I will be playing Britta. Jack is going to be playing Howl, uh, Lamar Howl. Um, we have Frank making an appearance in the script. Oh, Frank, I got to turn your mic back on. Yes, Frank, if you want to say hey again, you get hey. del- you're talking twice in the show, man. That's awesome. That's crazy. I'm Pulling proud of you from the shadows. I'm proud of you. <laughs> yeah, Frank's gonna be playing the starring role of the server in the bar, mm-hmm. and uh, we have Jared on the line, gonna read all of our action headings. So, Jared, whenever you're ready, go mm-hmm. ahead for mm-hmm. us. Okay, um, we're at the bottom of nine. Interior, bar, night. Hardwood floors and servers for this variegated crowd. A three-piece blues ensemble jam out like they'd pay to do it. Drinks for Britta and stocky Lamar Howell, 40s, warm perhaps because he's recently left hell. Staked to the back corner by the CD jukebox. Britta faces the stage, eyes glazed. Small cell lung cancer. What, a year and a half ago? Britta nods. That's one of the worst. Mm. Only ninjas are faster. Six months ago, she was receiving chemo at Shans and suddenly shouted out from a gaze beyond that of even an absolute stranger. I don't have cancer, you cunts! What the fuck am I doing here? Then she ripped out her line, sprayed doxetesol. <laughs> so bad on that word. That's the chemo, yep. Yeah, thank you. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's how we knew it had spread. And that's what the MRI showed. <sighs> I didn't order one. Just to show certain deaths somewhere else? Why? I brought her home, so at least she could be around Dad. 
you're allowed to give her chemo? But it nods. I've been blocking everything out. Perhaps as I must. As an anesthesiologist, it's my job to administer, to make the mind go away for an allotted period of time. You block out the pain. Unfortunately, I also self-administer. How old was drink? How old were you when the tower died? Three? Six. Still too early for the death trap. When people talk about them, they usually aren't talking about the survivors. Dr. Moran or Britta? Short for Brittany? Britta shrugs. Whatever. You and your daughter are about to be trapped very slowly. In, in fact, it takes forever. But you can survive. Britta attracted to more than the rhetoric. He should hint that he is, too. It's as important that you're there for her as it is that she's there for you so that you don't both fall away as you change. That's the death trap rule. To survive death, you have to change. Mutate. Britta sips away the idea. Science knows grief the way I know science. There's Howell cleanly in the eyes. She's plastered. I hate that I have to ask, but what qualifies you to run the group? <laughs> You're the only people I have left. Britta wants more. My parents died when I was eight, and my sister when I was 18. I sped it along by enlisting for Desert Storm, and then my son to cancer at 35... And my wife to my son at 36. Christ. Grief is never about coming to terms with one person. A live song comes on. I don't believe in the sun by the magnetic fields being covered by a woman's angelic, delightful mezzo. Howell looks at his watch, stands. Shift starts at four. She hurries him down for a hug. Come on, come on, come on. He leans into it, causing him to kiss her hair. The whole thing is ungainly. But Britta's drunk, oblivious, and completely amenable. He pulls away. Um, good... Off Wiedersehen. He waves, exits as Britta inhales his remaining splash of bourbon. She sits and stares at the ground for a second, listening to the beautiful music. She flags down the server. I'm ready to pay. The guy paid. Hmm. That was nice. She stands, hanging onto her insides as she stumbles away. The server gives her a disapproving look. Britta passes the stage, glimpses the singer. It's Viv, a canon of beauty, dressed as and embodying the phantom we saw break from Viv at the pool as she paced it. Even has the hair. No signs of disease. Britta continues like nothing's happened, clinging to the stage edge to steady herself to the exit. Exterior, bar, night. Britta bursts from the din into the parking lot, sidling in a sick hurry toward her Porsche. As she moves, she sees Bill's truck parked in the periphery. She blinkers her seeing eye with a hand, gasping for air. Grief is a gaslight. She retches, wills her vomit back down. So is your drinking problem. There we go. And scene. Great. So let's get into some of these things. Jack, where shall we begin? Oh, my goodness. Well, so, I mean, so, yeah. So you were talking about how Britta is seeing her ailing mother, just sort of seeing her up and doing stuff in a surprising way. And even the the idea that at the end of the bar there, as she was leaving, her mom was up there on stage. Yeah, she's like she's like hallucinating her, her, her right. well mother up yeah. there. But I mean, is she because later on in the script, when Viv is magically better, she puts on that outfit and goes back to that bar and ends up singing? She, I, I would say that that's a sign that she wasn't. You know, this is a, you know, none of these things are supposed to happen. You know, people yeah. are not supposed to come back from cancer. That's what compels us to develop coping mechanisms to deal with the fact that they're not coming back. So, do you think that's what Britta is doing? Is developing coping mechanisms throughout the script? No, I think I think she already has them in place at the outset. 
One of them is drinking. Yeah. And I think she's um, her empirical mind, her rational doctor mind won't allow her to think that this is a miraculous case and that, that she's going to actually have to deal with her mother until the MRI shows otherwise. And then, the, then she has to deal with her healthy mother and the baggage that comes with that. And I tried to reinforce that with the other doctors as kind of bewildered foils to show that the yeah. entire institution of medicine would grapple with something like this. I think there was something like a case, like um, seven recorded cases in the millions of cancer studies of spontaneous remission. If it never happened, then I would have never written this script. But if, since it has happened, I thought it was fair game. So the script is kind of a way to highlight the fact that that happens, not necessarily give like a fictional character some kind of unworldly journey here? Well, the unworldly journey then becomes how do you deal with another form of grief, which is grieving somebody who is completely healthy but is absolutely toxic. Yeah, yeah. okay. Okay, I got that. And that's what I'm trying to get at with the script was the dual frameworks of grief. It's You don't have to be losing somebody because they're dead. You could be losing somebody because they're a narcissist. You could be losing somebody because they can't put down the bottle and it's destroying everything in their past. Okay, and Viv very much does. Once she does sort of come back to life and, and is back in the world, healthier than Britta is even as the script goes on, she is mm-hmm. extremely narcissistic. And she and she and Michaela, Britta's daughter, uh, who Britta has kind of a relationship with, but not a great one, Viv and Michaela end up really bonding over their resentment of Britta. Yeah. Yep, and, and they end up having the relationship that Britta could never have with her daughter. Ugh, why? I mean, like, why is that in the script? What is, why is that so important for the story? Um, because I was, I wanted to, you know, if you've ever, I mean, it's, it's very common for family members and close people in close circles to sabotage others. Mm-hmm. That's um, as, as a way of kind of um, demonstrating their just overall toxicity and ruining relationships. Um, this was there so that Britta had to come to terms with the fact that she, if she wanted her mother to survive, then she would never have to, then have to um, accept that she may not have a relationship with her daughter and really kind of force herself. Into, it's, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't position. It's, yeah. it's an absolutely terminally unfavorable one, I, I, I think. Um, and I wanted, I, I wanted Britta I felt Britta, you know, needed to arrive at a place where she needed to, to find peace or work towards peace about the fact that she has a, if she wants her daughter to be happy, then she has to completely sacrifice this relationship. And, and it, it's just, it, it just shows like, like how abuse creates like intergenerational spiral fractures, how, you know, mental illness or anger, in this case, definitely anger, can distort and and twist all the the arborescing branches of the family tree. And I I hope then that that it's visible that that Michaela is directly, or Michaela's relationship with Britta is directly affected by by, uh, Viv's actions. Just wanted to paint a picture of interfamilial conflict Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a result of, of lying and 
and, and not dealing with issues. Right. So, you know, I keep going back to this idea of this being like a Tennessee Williams type play. And let's all think about the glass menagerie, mm-hmm. the screenplay there, where the, the matriarch of the family is manipulative and gets her hands into this very fragile situation that she needs to control. That, right. That's, I mean, once you see Viv get well... Because they do talk about the fact that Viv needs this anger as a way to stay healthy. You see mm-hmm. her just kind of manipulating the life, the life of Britta and also the life of Michaela. Yeah, is, is Viv actually forming a real bond with Michaela or is Michaela just a means to an end to keep everybody miserable? I, I think, I, I don't think people like, as you, uh, am I allowed to give spoilers? Yeah, it's your script, man, it. yeah. Okay, all right, um... As you see, Viv disappears at the end. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't feel that until people really come to terms with themselves, and after what Viv has done, I don't know how she ever could, I don't think they can be healthy to anybody. But of course, Michaela is too young yeah. and too angry herself at what her state, her, her state of affairs has been. No, no strong relationship with her father, um, a, a terrible relationship with her mother who resents her, or so she thinks, or shows shows Michaela the tools that were given to her by her grandmother and um, just needs something, needs anything. And, and unfortunately, nefarious Viv provides a something, saying the exact strategic things to make sure that only Viv can provide it, namely bad-mouthing the mother to the point where, you know, the, the daughter cuts her off. Yeah, and, and Britta becomes a total pariah as the script goes on, and they and they, they sort of they start analyzing the, the doctors she's the getting one who's dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's exactly yep. right. Totally. And and she's willing. Yeah. That's a bullet that she's willing to bite because it means mom's still in the world. That's her uh, 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 sort of surrendering. Well, question. That's why I had the neurologist. I had this 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 synthesis or this dialectic I tried to create between these two doctors, yeah. arguing out what's more important: treat the cancer or you know treat the symptoms of life itself and the the meaning component and the neurologist was fighting for Britta to assert herself in spite of the fact that it could kill her mother right see you know we we don't we're just beginning to now as a society talk more about the things that aren't medical diagnoses that are ruining us for instance chronic pain like we're seeing the opioid crisis you know completely eliminated um or, or or being identified I should say and now we have to look at ways that pain you know can be treated without without addictive narcotics and one of those ways that's been highlighted more and more as 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 the science improves is just the the story of our lives impacting how we feel pain and how much of it we feel and the pain that viv is carrying around which is born out of a lot of resentment for this father of her child who was this i mean relatively big name basketball star in the area even though you mm-hmm. kind of find out as the script goes on that he was just kind of mediocre but Viv resents him. Yep, she built him up. She built him up, and she resents herself for doing that because she put all of herself into him. She put all of herself into him. He cheated on her. Right. And I don't go into this, and maybe I should have. Um, a lot of dissociative identity uh, conditions are strongly associated with childhood sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so when I was writing this, I, I didn't really clarify. Maybe I announced it a few times about Viv's own father you know, kind of priming the pump for Viv to be nothing but a reservoir of rage. And then when, when Bill in, insults her and, and, and cheats on her, she now, that, that's, that's the point when she splits, and that's what Britta tries to recreate. 
She right. splits. That's why I go to the flashback inside the um, the dorm when she discovers him cheating. And so you've got you've got these two realities now. You've got the reality in which she's in complete denial that Bill is amazing. In fact, he's so amazing. I have to tell myself that he gets more amazing every year, to a point where her my daughter can't possibly live up to his standard. Mm-hmm. But yet I'm still angry at what he did, but I'm not dealing with it. So. Um, this kind of sets up, I hope, a magical realism kind of second chance for, for, for Britta to decode this. And at the end, she's rewarded not just, not just with, you know, having an answer, but with the guy who was at the center of this, her father. Right. You know, and so the script is about piecing together the puzzle, you know, and, and, and the reward is the thing that could save her. Because, you know, now, you know, Britta can discover that that, that guy never existed, the one that she could never be. He was never that great. You know, I wonder, the more and more we talk about this and how much, um, like, it's almost like there's intentional misleading in the script to get to what it ultimately is. Um, Jared, have you ever considered writing this into a miniseries, like a 13-episode series, or has it always come out of you as a feature? Um, well, in this case, this is the second draft, and um, I think that, that's that's definitely I, I I don't I don't feel like I think in terms of, of of television, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot here, and maybe there's, you know, too, there are too many elements for people to really kind of um, um, balance. But um, I don't know. Have you seen the movie um, A Most Violent Year? Mm-mm, I haven't. Jack, have you? I, I, the, the title's really a familiar. Lot of the, a lot of these A24 pictures. Even something like, like Moonlight, mm-hmm. they kind of create these emotional ensembles where there are a lot of intersecting relationships. Yeah. Yep. And um, I had always aspired to create something like that, yeah. something that, that, that doesn't really teeter in the, the four-quadrant slot of commercialism, but you know, has themes that are steeped in real people despite whether or not the things in the script can actually happen. They're real yeah. reactions to things that people go through. And no, I, I, I think that because I thought about it that way, I never considered it for television. Mm-hmm. No, I was just curious because I do feel like the story, um, even though it, f- it fills the feature um, format very well, it also, it, it just reminds me of some of those things that you watch and they have kind of like a rhythm to it. Yeah. That over time mm-hmm. you start to you start going, oh, so that's why that happened two episodes ago. I, mm-hmm. you know, the, that kind of connection okay. throughout, like the story. planting and payoff. Type yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I get that a lot out of this script, and I, I just, Matt, I just wondered. And well, that. and I think too, if you I, because there is a lot going on in the script, both real things and surreal things, and I, I think it, it's something maybe worth considering. The idea of a little more room to breathe it might be beneficial. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's been a refrain for most things that I write. And by no means is this thing the absolute iteration. Yeah. I um, One of the things I was most excited about, you know, coming on here was, like, you know, learning exactly what connected and what didn't. And and I didn't even need you guys, you know, to necessarily tell me that, even though you did. I Just t- trying to, to recount what happens, I'm, I'm realizing I'm talking for a very long time, but I, I do that no matter what I do. <laughs> well, you have a lot of research. You know, you've got a research background. You have a lot of information about exactly what's going on. It just makes sense in terms of you. Jared, let me ask you, 
because there is such a personal connection here with you and, and so much of the stuff you talked about is so strongly influencing this script, can I ask you why it's framed in terms of a mother-daughter relationship? Um, I never really thought about it too much. Uh, it could have even been something as banal as the title, Viv Through the Night. It, um, it, and then from there, I just kind of top-down created this, this dynamic. I think, um, you, ever, you ever just just come up with something that, that just felt right to you? Like, in, in, for instance, with the doctors, I, I picked them as an Irishman and an Indian man because mm-hmm. I saw them at the hospital that I, that I had gone to in, in Gainesville, um, and they just kind of appeared, and I created something around them. I never, I never saw them as, as male. Um, I, I think I saw um, Michaela as a daughter particularly because I have a – well, in addition to, to my daughter, I wanted to create strong, eminent – characters with a lot to offer mm-hmm. who to, to kind of show that, that no matter how strong you are, you can still be felled by, you know, your, your past. And, um, I have a cousin who was an all American volleyball player at the university of Alaska Anchorage. I think I had, I had her to mind. She's, she's a brilliant, you know, civil engineer to be, she's playing pro in Cyprus right now, I believe before oh, nice. she comes back. I, I just, I, I've, I, I've been around a lot of strong women. Okay, and, and I, 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 I care about telling stories about strong women. That even though this is related to a man, the ultimate the relationships themselves are not related to the man. Mm-hmm. So, did the title the, come first for you then? Because you said the relationship kind of blossomed out of Viv through the night. What is, how does the what does the title mean for you then? Well, I mean, oh, I forget which one of you remarked. You know that the Viv and, and live. Like vivir in, in Spanish, vida, vivacity. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a scene early in the script where, um, after bewilderingly, Viv has become healthy. Um, Britta is kind of keeping watch, keeping vigil, watching her sleep to make sure this is real. And then eventually, Britta gets tired and she's asleep. And you know, she wakes up to find Viv still healthy. And you know, she stayed that person through the night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah, I know what scene um, you're talking about. I, that's also, a think, beautiful one. And then I think I have later on um, when the doctor, the, the neurologist, is um, kind of laying it out for Britta. You know, he talks about, you know, seeing a lot of, he, he was appealing to the fact that he's seen a lot of dementia patients who, destroy, who have their ability to reconcile destroyed because their minds deteriorate. He talks about how, you know, apologies and family secrets, you know, uh, dissolved into, or, you know, went into the one-way night, meaning they were never going to come back. Yeah. yeah. And um, I just think a lot of this is about, um, you, you know, a lot of it's nocturnal. A lot of it takes place in this liminal space where things aren't completely clear. Dissociative identity isn't clear. Who did what isn't clear. All we know is we kind of have this, this cumulus cloud of, of a person who is sometimes this way and sometimes that way, and it's wreaking havoc on this daughter, this bright, capable daughter and her daughter, to have any sense of self. Well, and it's almost like it doesn't really matter what specifically happened. Things being clear, it almost doesn't matter as much as like people are feeling a certain way, and that's what a lot of the focus of the script is, is just the way people are feeling at any given moment. Okay, I think I think I understand what that means. Could you maybe explain a little bit more? I think just you're talking about how there's some things in this script that exist in this liminal space, and you're, there's there aren't a lot of specifics involved to it. I don't think that's even necessary because I think the real focus of what the story that I feel like you're tra- you're trying to tell a lot of it is 
the way you talked before about these spiral fractures and these awful mm-hmm. feelings that people have toward each other and the injuries that such treatment can cause, I think that's more the thrust, not so much about who did what specifically when. I think that's why some of this surreal liminal stuff really works. Okay. Yeah. I've had notes. Um, I, have, I have several people that, that I give notes or that I receive notes from before these things are. And one of the notes that came back from a very trusted ally said to basically remove the entire bill plot. Remove that that entire backstory, you know, to make, to focus on the characters. And I didn't really understand how how to do that. I think Bill looms he, so large. I don't know if cutting out Bill is the way to go. I think if anything, Howl could be cut out. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. There's a there's an I I put Howl in. Um, he he kind of came out of of like somebody. Uh, my 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 desire was to show somebody who. You know, there's no such thing as being an expert on grief. You can you can quote Elizabeth Kubler Ross and the the stages of grieving yeah. all you want. There's there's no such thing. It's just it's just kind of a, a a natural event that you recover from for the rest of your life. And I, I I was trying to show him as an aspect of that, but that but by by me saying I was trying to show that 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 kind of proves that, that he's not a fundamental component of the story. Well, he does provide a lot of mirror mirror for Britta mm-hmm. and her own self. So. And, and, and empowerment, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. Encourages him to face her mother and yep. or encourages her to face her mother and, you know, do these things. And I, I, I cr- try to create a moment of levity in the, the forest where, like, he encounter, he has to basically face this, these, this ridiculous part of his past where his mother, who was a manic depressive, had, you know, created, like, a, like, like, like used all their money to develop toys essentially and like ruined his life. And he had completely sealed that off in his past, but he, he, he went back into it as a way of, of, of both, you know, making Viv laugh or Britta laugh, but, but also it had the, the deeper, darker ramifications of him seeing what was unresolved in him. And when I was writing that, it, it, it felt right. But thinking about it now, it might just be too much. I mean, it's Maybe pretty jarring when he good. sets himself on fire at the end of that scene. <laughs> yeah, um, he was ignoring the. Um, well, I don't think he was like like self-immolating. I think he was just kind of ignoring what was happening as he was just experiencing all this. I, it, I think it might have played too melodramatic, though. I, I don't. It might have. I mean, the whole thing was preposterous. I'll be honest, guys. I don't. I don't know how how that scene fits. I'm not sure. I really like it. It's just, I mean, if, if we're talking about stuff, it, that, that part didn't land for me. I, I wasn't sure yeah. how that fit into the, to the greater picture of things. And, and other I, than her- I'd say that I, that I agree with you, and I'd like to find a better way to do that, that part. Well, regardless of, you know, what's working now or what isn't working now, the story is really strong, and the relationships that yeah. you've netted between these women is really, 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 really potent. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's, and it's intense. Like, there's, it's a lot, intense. there's an intensity yeah. to it, for sure. Which fits the name I, Viv Through the Night. I really cared about... Showing people who these, you know, you know, people struggling. I've had, and, and and just for your listeners, this script got like a three on the blacklist. By the way, a three out of ten. Okay, well, I mean, there's a lot to there's a lot I to chew. Like a six, but there there. I'm sorry. There's a lot to chew in this, and I think maybe people aren't always looking for a, a, a complex meal. And that's a, another point that I really want to bang home to your listeners. Like, if you give your scripts to gatekeepers, a lot of the time. And, and something triggers something inside of them. It, it, it could be that, that a mosquito was buzzing their ear the wrong way yeah. as you landed on a scene that was particularly complex. Now they, they, they hate it subconsciously, and the entire succession of the crit- criticism is going to be retrofitting their initial emotion to, 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 um, to why it's bad, to, to create reasons for why it's bad. 
Jared, thank you so much. This time flew. I know. I, I really, this has been just blissful, guys. Thank you. Aww. Oh, Jared, you are welcome. Thanks it's, very much, man. It's awesome getting to chew through this with you. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm glad nobody choked. <laughs> small, small, multiple bites. Attaboy. Aww. Yeah, right. It, how do you, how do you, what, what's, your head back. what's the joke about how do you kill, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's an old joke. Don't look at me like that's not a thing. That's definitely a thing. It's just not a funny joke. Jared, more the script or an elephant. Jared, thank you very much for coming on. The script is Viv Through the Night, and we have it up uh, on our website on scriptshopshow.com. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Jared. All right, Jared Eagle. Oh man, what an opportunity to get to talk with the writer about something like this. I mean, there's a, the, reading this script. There was a ton of. I mean, we we said there was a lot to think about. There was a lot to process, and it was good to hear from the the from the, the voice and the mind of yeah. where all that came from. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful too. Like I do. I think the question of like where did these female characters come from when this is such a personal to you story was really nice because yeah. those are things that are not like immediately apparent mm-hmm. and getting to 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 hear about how these like very passionate characters come out of him is really special. Yeah. And and clear I mean all those different little checklist of things like things that happen in his life. Ugh, that's what he's writing I about. Know, so beautiful. Very personal. Yeah, and so that's what script shows about. Mm-hmm. Script what? shop. That's it. I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm drugged. <laughs> Just kidding. I haven't had a drink in a long time. You better start doing the math. <laughs> um, yeah, but that is what Script Shop is all about. Yeah. It's about us getting to talk to writers about their life, and then ultimately we learn that that is exactly what their script is about. Yeah. And if you have a script that's very personal to you that you would like to share and talk about, we would love to share it and talk about it too. Mm-hmm. So send it in via our website, scriptshopshow.com slash submit. Look us up on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Script. That's right. You hear how we're saying we're saying script shop show a lot. If you take those words and plug them into search engines in things like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, you will find us there. Ta-da, two redheads. That's how and Frank and, and what? Yeah. I, I just I, two redheads and Frank. I like that. Frank, That's, and, Frank and the redheads. That gets oh Frank, your mic has been on this whole time. Yeah, lucky you. I've been good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks so much. I, yeah. I'm, I'm good. You good? Yeah, it's good. 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 Okay. Yep. Okay, and until next week, friends, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West, hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley, produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.